Thank you for tuning in. We had a great discussion today with Stephanie Slocum. She's pretty incredible. This was my second opportunity to have a deep and wide-ranging conversation related to engaging, growing, and retaining female engineers, and really shows the benefit of the dialogue format we have here on the podcast. In this episode, we cover how historical societal gender roles play out in AEC firms and what leaders can do to address the myths, biases, and poor assumptions we often make that impact both our female engineers and our bottom lines. We talk about the greatest source of frustration for female engineers today, why they are two and a half times more likely to act, vote, and walk with their feet, and where they go when they leave the AEC industry. Finally, we get into what leaders and organizations can do to better attract and retain engineers regardless of gender. And we talk about Stephanie's upcoming free virtual summit designed to help advance female engineers and their careers. So without any further delay, let's do it. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. This is a show where you and I get to talk with industry insiders and subject matter experts on the issues that matter most. So let's go. Today we have Stephanie Slocum, founder and CEO of Engineers Rising, and we'll be talking about engaging, growing, and retaining your female engineers. Welcome to the podcast, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, Stephanie, you're, um, you're a professional engineer, had 15 years of progressive experience as a structural engineer with BS and MS degrees, have worked across the country, had three kids while working, wrote a best-selling book, She Engineers, Speak, Help Lead Industry Groups, started your firm, Engineers Rising, and now Teach and Coach, have over 18,000 Facebook followers. Um, first off, wow. Um, can you tell, a little, tell us a little bit about yourself and what drove you to write the book and then become such a great advocate and difference maker for female engineers? Yeah, thank you for asking. So I, you know, when I went to college, I, I was fortunate. There were lots of female engineers. Um, there were, my graduating class was about 40%. My major was architectural engineering. And I had been raised in this household where, like, do what you want to do, do what you love, um, do what interests you. Uh, and so when I got my first job, uh, which happened to be, right now I live in the Northeast in Pennsylvania. Uh, my first job happened to be in Texas, so in the southern part of the country, uh, as a structural engineer working on large commercial building projects. So when I say large, like construction cost range, you know, 50 million, $100 million projects, those were not unusual for me to be working on at all. I'm very comfortable with those. Um, and so I, I went to work there and it had never even occurred to me that 
as a female engineer, I would be treated any differently than my male counterparts. Uh, and at first, I really thought it was just me. I thought that what I was experiencing was maybe because of my lack of experience, um, that the fact I would go out to a construction site and contractors would be, would be like, well, what well, is your is your dad or a relative like in charge of the firm? Because that's the only reason if a woman could be interested in engineering. Um, as I said, I thought it was me. Um, and so over the years, I had compiled not only, you know, all these experiences, but a litany of, you know, tricks and tips and things that worked and things that didn't work when I was often, not always, but often the only woman on the design team or at these meetings um, and, and what I could actually do to move that forward. Uh, and so, you know, eventually, you know, I, I happened to have three girls and that was certainly a driver of this because when I noticed my, old, my oldest is 10 now and she started to show an interest in engineering and I thought to myself, you know, I don't know how I feel about her going to engineering unless she's working for me. And I'm like, if, I, if I'm having this thought as a, like the needle is moving at such a glacial pace um, that I, right now I feel like she might have the same problems that I did. Like, how can I, how can I change that? Um, and so She Engineers actually just started as a side project. I was working, doing structural engineering design um, for a company at the time. Uh, and I was enjoying what I was doing there. Uh, but then I'm like, you know what? I can write all this stuff down and, and help other other people. Um, so that's how it started. Last year uh, in January, She Engineers was published and came out. And quickly after that happened, I got asked to do things like come speak to young professionals, uh, both male and female engineers, uh, about the book, about my story, about how they could start off their careers right. And what I found was I was still working full time. I was taking vacation days to go and spread the message and share the story. Uh, and I, I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I have a choice. I'm a big believer that you can't do everything well. And I have this technical field that I enjoy, I'm good at, I've you know, gotten promoted. Um, and I feel like I'm having an impact there, but then I have this other thing with this book I've written. And I thought to myself, okay, where long-term can I have the most impact in the industry as a whole? Uh, and the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of structural engineers that can design things, that can coordinate things. There's not a lot of women out there right now willing to really focus on how do we help female engineers take their careers to the next level so that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we don't still have all, this, all these stories coming out about bias and there's you know, a lack of females in leadership. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, I took the leap. Last summer, I started my company, Engineers Rising, and um, the rest is, well, history in progress. Right. History in the making. So, I mean, it is fascinating. I mean, to go from, I had a few tips um, and, and workarounds personally to, I'm going to write a book about this. So, I mean, did you have 200 pages of tips? I mean, how, what, what was, so just let me unpack that just a little bit. I mean, how, did, were there other females in the firm or that you work with that you, you met that you just had conversations, were able to share, and then they, they 
they took your advice and then you picked up more information. I mean, there must have been at some point a gathering of you're having some impact behind the scenes or overtly in conference rooms with a group of female engineers that at some point said, you know, you were encouraged to write that book. I mean, what was that sort of process that you went through? So the process was, for lack of a better word, the universe hit me over the head a couple times. Um, so I had, you know, my, when I started into this field, I definitely was of the mindset that um, I'm, I'm going to be the best engineer I can be. Uh, and so very, for a very long time, as I said before, I thought it was me. And so I did not seek out other women in engineer other women in engineering. Um, I just, I didn't. And so, you know, I found myself in groups when I started really focusing on like networking and attending conferences and that sort of thing in groups of other female engineers where time and time again, the subject would come up. Okay. So, you know, we know what we say when we're a mixed company, what's it really like in your office? Um, how are you really treated? How are the women with children who are engineers treated? And, you know, am I the only one who feels like my ideas are getting, you know, I'm getting talked over in meetings. Uh, I'm, I'm having trouble getting the same amount of respect as my male colleagues are with the same levels of experience. And so that conversation over and over again, variations on a similar theme, and then keeping in touch with these women and saying, okay, do you want advice? Like, I'm happy to mentor you. Uh, and sharing some of the things I had experienced and what I had shared uh, in terms of like things that worked and things that didn't work. Um, is it only you? Is it experience level? Is it gender? Uh, they took those, you know, tricks and tips per se, and were able to see a change. Um, and so it, yeah, I say tips and tricks, but it's a kind of compilation of what I've seen, what other women have seen, and, you know, seeing that sort of change for them, as well as the mountains of research out there from groups like leanin.org, um, and, you know, groups looking at how do we keep women in engineering. So it's really serve. I mean, you do, it seems like you just found that, you know, there's a real need and that you are positioned to serve that need. But I think it also just highlights the value of having a trusted community of peers where, where you can really talk about those issues and bring them to the forefront. So it, it's really neat that, um, I mean, I think it's fabulous for the, anyone you've been able to meet so far and be able to help and mentor, but for the industry as a whole to be able to have this voice. And, um, you know, when we have spoken before, you know, you talked about, you know, just some of the myths that are out there. And obviously, you know, you get together and you, you talk about that. But, you know, as we start, you know, talking about just like diving into the subject, what are some of the myths and just the poor assumptions that, you know, leaders should really know about, um, you know, today's female engineers and, you know, particularly for uh, your demographic, which is the 5, 10, 15 year professional. So I think before I dive into this a little bit more, I've probably the biggest myth out there is that male and female engineers are fundamentally different in some way, shape or form. Um, 
both want to be recognized for their contributions to their work. Both want growth opportunities. Um, but what we what we see is that you know women tend to be more willing to vote with their feet if they're not getting what they want. Um, so I feel like from a from a from a busting myths standpoint. Um, the other thing is that we, we talk about, you know, treating people equally. Treating people equally and treating people fairly are not necessarily the same thing. So, you know, if you look at this kind of from a communication standpoint, I can say one thing to one person, male or female, and say the same thing to another person, and it gets interpreted completely differently. Um, and And so it's a... Like I said, the biggest myth we are fighting is that there's something fundamentally different about these two groups. Right. So you said, well, you said the difference between treated, being treated fairly and equally. Can you give an example of, of how that, you know, the same situation might be interpreted differently? Yes. Okay. So I was, uh, when I was at a, a speaking event, at the end of the event, uh, a gentleman comes up and he's like, okay, I have two interns. I have one female intern and one male intern. And he's like, they're going out onto a site. They were in an oil and gas, it was an oil and gas field construction site, which uh, if you know about that industry, um, definitely tends to have some rougher stories coming out of it, for lack of a better description. And his, his question was, you know, I want to I wanna treat them equally, so should I just pull the female engineer aside and tell her, you know, if she experiences any of this sort of bias on the, when she's out on the construction site, I have her back and, and she'll come back um, and, and tell me about it and I'll help her with all this. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, that, that makes, that, I understand why you're saying that, but really, if you want to, you want to be fair, you need to pull both of them in, both the male and the female, and explain this to them both. Um, it, it comes down to like individual, like what does an individual need to thrive in your environment? Um, so like assumptions people might make, for example, a manager might say, oh, well, I have this woman coming back from maternity leave. I don't want to assign her to a high profile project that she may have to travel on because I'm making the assumption that she's not going to want to spend time away from family that, you know, without even asking her. So if you were being fair, you would actually ask her what she wants, you know, assuming she is the most qualified person to do that. Right. Yeah. I just understood. I, I mean, and you, you can see that it's just a matter of, you're right. People make assumptions and it's maybe it's not those conversations of, Hey, from a cultural perspective, we want everyone to understand this information about going to construction sites and attitudes and behaviors and, and different things that we expect and the feedback that I want to get after this, you know, experience because that's part of your career development. And, and also write that, that fairness of opportunity and let people be able to answer the questions on their own, but not make assumptions. But you're right. That probably is, it, it's, it, it's an awareness to get to that level. Um, and probably right. It, it, it might be that, that type of a myth and, and a bias that we have. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. Anytime you make an assumption about someone 
based on anything, it, you're perpetuating a type of bias. Uh, and it doesn't matter if I, for example, assume that, you know, a male engineer doesn't want to do certain tasks or, you know, he brought in some baked goods to work and I assume his wife made them. That's a bias just as much as saying, okay, looking around the room at this meeting, I have, you know, one younger female, she's going to be the one assigned to take notes. It's a bias. We all have them. It's, it's a matter of making sure that as you are leading an organization, as you are leading a team, being aware of where your biases are coming into play in your decisions. Because whether you acknowledge them or not, they're coming into play. Um, so the goal is to try and get to like unpack this with data. So if you're looking at, for example, like promotions, you know, promoting based on, I feel this person is a right fit is very likely a biased decision. Promoting based on this person has met all their metrics and those metrics are clearly defined. It's not that client X just really likes this person, so they should be promoted. Right. And it, and it does get into really knowing your people and being able to have that relationship and the conversations to understand. You know, I guess, it, it, and it, it, it is, it's, it's the leader, the manager, not making assumptions and actually engaging people because you do get into not just, you know, uh, male, female, but you do get into type A, type B personalities, introverts and extroverts. And, and there's all kinds of different ways to, you know, that, that people chime in meetings and relate to other people. But I, I think it is that awareness of knowing, um, you know, who's who and not and minimize, whether it be data or just having a relationship to minimize all those assumptions. I, um, you know, that, that, is, that is very interesting. So those are assumptions and some of the myths. I mean, kind of along those lines, um, when we previously spoke, you know, I, I asked you, you know, what do what female engineers want? And your answer was really insightful. And, you know, basically you, you stated that, well, we generally want the same things as everybody else, kind of like what you stated, um, but maybe just in a different order. And, you know, that kind of gets into maybe some assumptions and some of the others, but could you unpack that a bit that want the same things, but in a different order? So the three things that I think most engineers want are in no particular order for now, fair treatment, number one, work they enjoy, and growth opportunities. And as I said before, I want to discourage anyone listening to think you can completely generalize about any gender. Uh, as engineers, we're all unique, and particularly for firm leaders, as we talked about, to get the best out of anyone you're leading, you have to know what that individual engineer really needs to thrive in your, in your firm. Um, that said, there's a whole bunch of studies that have shown a couple of different trends related to men and women. So, for example, there was one by the Harvard business school that showed a difference in ambitions in women, specifically that women often think that there is, there will be a negative reaction if they gain power, whereas men don't typically think that. And we see that playing out even, you know, in society as, as, as a general rule in that, like, what we're seeing inside engineering isn't only engineering. This is part of how 
the gender roles play out in society and how we've incorporated them into our brains. Um, and some of the things the studies have shown that, for example, there's this very famous study between Heidi and Howard, uh, venture capitalists. And what they did was they said, okay, here are the resumes of these two people. You know, they were go-getters. They started their own companies. They were both entrepreneurs. And the only thing they changed on those resumes was they made one named Heidi and one named Howard. And what came out of the study was essentially the, the people they were studying came back and they asked them, how do you feel about Heidi in leadership and Howard in leadership? And they came back and said, well, you know, Heidi is super competent, but we don't really like her. We don't love working with her. Like she didn't pass the quote unquote beer test. That you're going to go out and have a couple drinks with her after work, assuming you drink. Howard, on the other hand, was both perceived as liked and competent. Um, so there are variations on, on this idea that for women, women who are very, very competent tend to per be perceived as not as well liked as their male counterparts who can be both. And so I think in this case, as we talk about growth opportunities and power specifically as being something that both men and women want, women have seen that power for women tends to get a negative reaction. So they'll tend to see growth opportunities in other places. So for example, areas that they feel like they can have a maximum impact on society. When it comes to the other two, so I just talked about growth opportunities and, and power. Um, a lot of the, the studies have shown that for men, that tends to be top, the top priority. So, you know, growth, power, compensation. Um, since women have seen that when they do that, there's a lot of pushback. Um, for a lot of female engineers, fair treatment has jumped to the top of the list. Um, so you think of that, you know, Aretha Franklin song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Right. Um, so the fair treatment and some studies have even gone so far to show that for women, like if you have titles and compensation, the female engineers will tend to value the title along the lines of the respect um, more so than the compensa compensation. Not to say they don't want to be paid well, but just that having that position that they perceive as I can have a bigger impact, I can be respected in my organization, tends to be the number one for women, both by, you know, the studies that exist, and also by just my own experience um, coaching and helping women. That is the number one reason they come to me, is related to this issue of, you know, fair treatment. And then, you know, as I said, I think work they enjoy falls in the middle, both for you know, men and women. Um, and once again, this comes back to having that conversation as a leader in your firm with individual employees about where do you see yourself having the biggest impact in the firm? And just asking that question, especially to a female engineer where I just kind of unpack that, the growth and the impact are, tend to be more intrinsically linked um, will go a long ways towards helping your female engineers feel like they're being heard and making the best contribution they can to your firm.
Now, I mean, as you're talking, I mean, there's two things. Um, one is frustration from a female engineer side, which I want to get to. But before we get to that, I, wearing my firm leader, major owner, board of director hat, all I'm thinking is missed opportunity. How many missed opportunities do we have because, you know, whether it's been brought in from the outside or whether it's just a deep societal you know, issue that we're working through and hopefully working through faster than we have in the past. But a missed opportunity that, that somebody comes in of equal competence and drive and ambition and all of a sudden isn't necessarily looking for growth opportunities um, and pushing for greater compensation because they've earned it or, you know, seeking, you know, a little bit more power in an organization that is well-deserved. I mean, it seems like firms and teams are missing out. I mean, is there any data out there that just shows that, you know, because um, a female might not, you know, obtain power or it's not their prior priority because of the way they feel like they will be treated, that, you know, th there's a delta, there's a gap there of, of, of how that's hurting industries? Oh, there's definitely data that show this. So we know that one in four women leave engineering after age 30. One in, men, in 10 men do the same, and both cite work culture as the primary reason. And I want to like unpack that just a little bit. So, I mean, that means we're spending all this money on higher education in a lot of fields, um, in mine, structural engineering, it's pretty much a requirement to have a master's degree to get the best jobs coming out of school at this point. And then they're working for X number of years. A lot of them are spending the time, effort, and energy to study and pass the PE exam. And then after they pass that, usually about five years in, depending on which, which state you're in, they're working for a couple more years, and then they're deciding that engineering is not for me. And where are they going, you may ask, because I feel like there's also this myth that, oh, women are leaving because they're starting a family. Uh, but in reality, only a very, very like single digit percentage of women are doing that. Instead, they're going to other industries. They're going to finance. They're going to uh, particularly management positions in other industries. Um, so it's, you know, it's frustrating that on one hand, you know, every conference, every AEC event I go to, we talk about how we have this, you know, we can't find engineers with a little bit of experience you know like that five to ten year range we can't find them but on the same token because of our our work cultures we are driving some of our workforce away that would be able to fill those positions um, and bring you know new thoughts and new ideas and innovation um, I mean I have it you know if you look at you know what is the business case for diversity and you look at where innovation comes from it comes from bringing in new ideas and new perspectives part of that is having not just different genders but different um, age groups so yes baby boomers and millennials working together there's going to be conflict but that's how we get innovation Right. Well, and if you're included, I mean, if somebody doesn't feel included, then you could have diversity in numbers um, and on paper. But if, if you're not having the right forums um, and there's not safety to be able to share, 
you're not having really the inclusion piece and you're probably not then having the benefits of, of diversity and, and realizing that innovation piece. Yeah, and, and to, to tag on to that in terms of a kind of surprising and scary statistic. Um, so the, the most recent leanin.org Gallup poll, Women in the Workforce poll, which was done in 2018, found that in engineering specifically, 40% of women were what they considered onlys. Uh, they defined an only as someone who is often or usually the only woman on her team uh, or in her you know, immediate circle at work. And what they found was when that happens, so when someone starts a diversity program and says, okay, we're gonna hire you know, a women engineer, um, that doesn't actually do anything because when you are, you know, routinely the only one, all of your behavior now becomes a stand-in for all women. Um, I cannot tell you the number of times I've had someone say, well, you know, all women, all women leave if they're going to have a, have a baby because they had one woman in their office who actually did do that, but she's the only one that they ran into. Um, or, you know, there's, there's this, when there's only one, that behavior gets attributed to the entire gender. So, you know, as we're talking about what do we do about this, um, helping women and minorities, because let's be honest, our industry, there tends to be a lot of older white men, nothing against older white men. Um, I have lots of mentors. I have the greatest respect, but when, if, we're, if we need to change it, we need to see more women and minorities in leadership positions. Right, and so, they're available now. I mean, they're, I mean, from a demographics, I mean, you know, the millennial generation is what, twice as diverse um, the, ethnically than the boomer generation in, in the US. So, I mean, the numbers are there, you know, for years, if not decades, the last couple decades in particular, you know, the number of female engineers to male engineers ratio is right up there, if not equal coming out. So really, you know, particularly with the millennial generation, you know, I'll say people 35 and under, there's no reason why um, firms haven't been able to diversify. I mean, it should be there. So if not, I mean, maybe there, there hasn't been an emphasis on it, or you're just not in a very diverse area. I mean, maybe that's the case too or at least from a female perspective, um, diversity, we haven't kept them. I mean, firms have not had them. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, that, you know, maybe, you know, there, there is this, you know, walking, vote with their feet. I mean, what, is that where this manifests itself? There, there is a, you know, and maybe it's because of frustrations along the line. Maybe it's the, it's the, it's the actual culture. Maybe it's, it's, you know, career goals. I mean, what, but people, women walk with their feet. How, can you unpack, change, share that a little bit? And then how does that maybe differ from men statistically? Yeah, so statistically, their professional women are more, so if professional women have a long-term partner, they're more likely to be in a long-term partnership with another professional man. Um, something to the tune of 60% of professional women are would identify as I am married to someone who also has a high powered um, professional career. Interestingly though, 
something like I think this last statistic I saw was like between 70 to 75 percent of male engineers um, have a stay-at-home spouse which I I was floored when I read that because I I think in this day and age you know most people have two you know professional income households yet engineering seems to be one of the I don't know holdouts in in that area so then this creates this kind of chicken and egg thing going on in that if I'm a professional woman and I am frustrated with what is going on at work and I am married to someone who is bringing in a salary equal to or exceeding my own, I'm much more likely to say, well, you know, if I, you know, decide I want to start a family, maybe that's kind of my excuse per se for leaving the industry and doing something else. Um, now, I, I do not say that at all to downplay like the amazing women out there who make the decision that okay like I really want to focus on my family um, and that and that's why I'm going I'll be up front and say that's not me like I've always I love my kids but I love having an impact on the world through a professional career as well um, but but I think it's you know the voting with their feet sometimes it's it's the family and sometimes it's just that she sees okay, I can have, go work in another field. I'm not necessarily tied to my engineering employer because we have another source of income coming in. Um, and so you, you've really created the situation where you have an employee who doesn't need to stay. And so if you do not create a work culture where she feels like she's heard and she can have an impact on society through the engineering work she's doing, She's going to go elsewhere for a multitude of reasons to where she can be heard and have that impact that she wants to have. All right. And I see, again, missed opportunity that, that we're not thinking about that. And, and maybe, I mean, maybe the dynamic is changing a little bit because the economy is booming and, and engineers across the board are hard to find and organizations are becoming a little bit more employee centric. And, you know, it's not just about compensation today and benefits and my annual review. It's about so much more. It's about making an impact. It's about growing. It's about developing. And, you know, instead of just being fine tuned on, you know, Know, compensation and benefits organizations are starting to now tune into some of those other intrinsic and extrinsic motivators but it's interesting as far as you know the walking with your feet in that you know I don't need to deal with this but then on the other side if you know male or female if you're the primary breadwinner and the organization and the culture just isn't there you know maybe you, you take it for a while because you're the primary breadwinner um, and ultimately, you know, a career turns into a job um, or, you know, you, you become disengaged and you look for that great next opportunity, which, you know, gets into like people, male and female, leaving jobs because they're just not satisfied with it. And, and culture is a major driver because I think most people today in the engineering architecture space, I mean, are paid pretty well. I mean, there's, there's not, you know, it's just the economy is, is good and people are, are catching up on the on the compensation. But I think across the board, culture is driving so much more. But I think to your point, maybe males and females, you know, the actual driver is going to be a little different and someone's life circumstance, which gets into supervisors being able to understand their people so much more than what they do now uh, in order to, to be able to lead and manage them effectively. Everyone is going to be a little bit different. But it is a loss. I, I still look at it that, you know, anyone who leaves an organization, um, 
because of a cultural issue that that's not performance based or because I just don't want to do this anymore. There's just a missed opportunity because there's got to be a way we can work together and everybody wins. And I think the most enlightened managers are doing that today. Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, it is it is such a missed opportunity. Not only, and it's a missed opportunity that like you as a company can assign dollar values to. When someone leaves, you know, how much does it cost you to hire someone and retrain? You know, train someone. Not to mention the institutional knowledge that's lost. Uh, and I think in a lot of cases, it's you know, male and female managers are such a critical part of keeping both engaged and retained in the industry uh, in terms of having these conversations about what do you as an employee want out of your tenure here? Right. And the, and the data is crystal clear. I mean, from Gallup, I mean, 70% of the variance of employee engagement on a team or an individual level comes down to the manager or the supervisor. Um, but on the other side, too, I mean, to give, you know, managers and leaders a little bit of a, um, a, a break or a little bit of grace, the Gallup also reports that, you know, 67% of managers are burned out. And they're not engaged themselves or they're, they're not engaged. And, and part of that is because of just burnout. And so, you know, their managers aren't engaging them. So it, it's really, it's a math equation that doesn't work quite well when um, the ones who are responsible for engaging the talent uh, or disengage themselves or really just overwhelmed, busy and consumed. So, I mean, there is a fundamental, you know, shift. I think it's happening slowly in industries, but engagement is key. And I, it's, it's more and more today, engagement is about a relationship and it's knowing and it's maximizing individuals' potential for individual goals at different seasons of life. Because, I mean, someone's motivated at 25, a little differently than 35, 45, 55. And so you really have to capitalize, um, or if you're going to capitalize, you have to know and understand and have that relationship. You know with male and female engineers. And I think you hit the nail on the head there by saying it's individual um, because, you know, just in my own experience managing people, sometimes there's, there, there could be an individual male engineer who wants to be super involved in his kids, you know, soccer league and coach that. Like he sh he should be allowed to go do that without getting a career penalty if he gets his work done the same way a female engineer should be able to do that. Um, so once again, it's this broader, you know, thinking about how does my, how, how does how I was raised and the society as a whole look at these gender roles? Because I think most of us would admit to ourselves if we were being very honest that we kind of expect the mom with the kids to be the one that gets the sick call when someone has to leave the office to go pick up um, that child. And in a way, when the man does it, he's looked down even more for doing it because he's not falling into the traditional gender roles. So the question becomes, you know, how much is that sort of non-measurable non things happens that, you know, plays into decisions at work, even though both, both of those engineers 
maybe meeting all their, you know, technical requirements and metrics and project deadlines. But I think people today, I mean, so let me speak. I mean, I, you know, I benefit, my career benefited professionally because my wife was a stay-at-home mom. I mean, absolutely, there's no doubt in my mind, but I think it, it's a, the mindset's a little different today. And if I could go back in time as it relates to, you know, being more involved or getting that call, that sick call and being able to, you know, sit with someone and watch cartoons with someone laying on your lap who has a fever, that precious moment that afternoon, it's just you and a child. Like, I wish I could go back with every one of mine and be able to think about an afternoon I just spent with them and went to the doctor and, you know, it, and it, not like that didn't exist, but you know, more. So I, I can look back and say, you know, after it's, it's all passed and say, you know what, those would be cool memories. I think people go into, you know, if they're looking for a family, male and female, they want that. I think males and females say, we're going to do this together. It's not going to be traditional gender roles and we want to raise together and you take Monday off. I take Friday off. Let's work with our, you know, organizations to do that. And we'll try to work four forties each because we want to be able to have a house and all that stuff. We want to win at work, win at life. And you, you can run into that. Well, we don't have that. If we have that policy for you, we need it for everyone. And it's like, well, who can, well, can't you at a certain level do four forties? Like why, why can't we figure that piece out if it's going to, you know, engage and retain people and allow them to, to do the things that they want. So, I mean, I think it is changing and, you know, to the point of leaders and organizations to be able to think of things like it's not maternity leave or paternity leave or, you know, it, it's parenthood. It's how are we going to allow people to have the types of lives that they're going to be successful in and be able to capture, you know, their career growth so that the organization thrives and they thrive as individuals. So I think it's, I think it's all there. It's just, it's slowly working its way through and there's different levels of priority depending on leaders. And I think, if people are walking with their feet and they are, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a threat and, and it's, it's, it's probably hurting the bottom line. And to, you know, one other thing I want to get to is people walking with their feet and just a phenomena today is the gig economy and entrepreneurism. And do you see, you know, from a female entrepreneurism, you know, you can come out if you're female, if you're technical, if you're, if you're smart, if you're entrepreneurial, have a good business sense and you have a good network, you could do what you do start a company and be very successful. You could also um, in certain states be able to say, well, I'm also a WBE and be even and have quicker success. To me, I see that as a major threat to um, organizations who just are not evolved or evolving or having these conversations or being able to capture someone's entrepreneurial spirit, whether they have power or not. And, you know, what, what are you seeing in that? Does that seem to resonate with the people that you're speaking to that there's this entrepreneurial bug in there and that as they're walking with their feet, it's actually creating not only loss within organizations, but more competition? When I ask female entrepreneurs, and I'm going to very specifically speak to female entrepreneurs who started some sort of a technical, like consulting sorts of firm in the AEC space. Um, so for me, you know, a lot of structural engineers, because structural engineering in particular really lends itself to, you know, one person in their office designing stuff with a couple of support people that don't necessarily even have to be full time. Um, one of the top reasons they cite for why they started their company was to get the flexibility in their schedule they needed. And for some of them, it was family, uh, either kids or um, 
more and more people are saying it's because of elders, actually, um, in terms of, you know, needing to caretake for an older person in their family. And sometimes it's just to be able to pursue other things outside of work without this need for, you know, FaceTime, you must be in the office from eight to five and beyond in order to get your work done. Uh, so I completely agree. The gig economy is projected to increase significantly. Uh, and I feel like that's going to be continue to be a possible option that is very attractive to, you know, the smart, ambitious, you know, technically capable female engineer, particularly in states where you can be uh, a WBE. Right. And, and you know, in our industry, we need teams. Teams are essential. We need to coordinate. We need, we need to, you know, and, but, but the water cooler conversation, the conversation about design details around the coffee pot, I mean, that doesn't work because we have multiple offices now too. And teams are small. I mean, there is a one person project management team who is also the lead project engineer and has a, you know, a few designers with them. I mean, that happens within organizations. I mean, what's the difference between that and in somebody's basement office? I mean, so with technology, with communications, with relationships, you know, well-planned out engagement programs, I mean, there's a way to make this all work. Um, and there's, there's benefits to being on your own and there's benefits to being part of a group and part of an organization too. So I, I think it's, it's leaders need to just understand that, you know, these things, people will find their own way. They, they'll either be disengaged in place or they're going to walk in, in to go to a different industry or kind of do what they do under their own, their own hat there. Is there any, um, I, I could just continue to talk with you for a long time on this, but I want to be able to try to, to wrap up a little bit, but is there, there any other trends that you see? I mean, it's remarkable to me. I mean, and we can kind of talk about this. You, you have 18,000 Facebook followers, so two things, I mean, one, um, people are attracted to you. Do you see any, any trends of why female engineers, and, and I know you, you've mentioned too, it's not just female, but it's male engineers, but why female engineers are coming, like the, the top two reasons why they come to you and why they seek and, and, and what help you provide them. Okay. Um, yeah, I can. I can kind of give you the top one reason. So they they seek me out because they're frustrated. So they are they're tired of needing to fight harder to prove their worth. They're tired of waiting for society and corporate cultures to catch up with their capabilities. And they're recognizing that despite Me Too, despite the fact that we've heard a lot of things and there's been a lot of press about the gender pay gap, getting more women in STEM, the need for diversity inclusion initiatives, that that needle is not moving quickly. It's moving forward at a glacial pace. Um, so the women that come to me, they've said enough is enough and my career will be over before the culture changes at the rate it's going. And it's definitely changing gradually. Um, but in most of their cases, they're saying, you know, I'm experiencing gender bias or I hit a point at my career where I feel like I've hit a ceiling and I don't know where to go next. And so, so they come saying, can, you know, I need help. Help me figure this out. Right. I, I, I need to see action, not just hear buzzwords. I, you know, even if it's exactly. well intended, you know, there's, there's, there's power and money and speed. Um, you're either going to gain it or you're going to lose it. 
Well, exactly. that's interesting. So, I mean, one thing that's so, I mean, let's talk a little bit social media here. And then I, I want to talk about your, your virtual summit too. But social media, I mean, it is, you know, we always hear about LinkedIn, you know, and that's where I spend most of my time, you know, from a, from a business industry perspective. You hear about that, but, but you have 18,000 followers on Facebook. I mean, where are the engineers? And, and do you see a difference between how you engage with people on Facebook and LinkedIn? You know, number one, because I'm curious, and number two, are, are, are firms that are looking for engineers and trying to build relationships with it, are they looking in the wrong spots? Man, I could talk an hour on the differences between engaging on Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, but to give you like a short, a short overview. So LinkedIn, there are, as, as you said, a lot of, a lot of my professional engineering contacts that I've met over the course of my career, I keep engaged with on LinkedIn. The thing LinkedIn generally lacks is any opportunity to engage via video. And so Facebook, you can, you know, pop on with the video tell your story about how you became an engineer, what sorts of things you're dealing with. People can follow you along your journey. So the video aspect of Facebook allows you to, and Instagram has the same thing, and we can go, there's lots of other social media sites. Um, the, your ability to connect with someone over video, much like I think we would all agree, if you're sitting face-to-face -face in a meeting with someone, you can connect with them much better than you can over a phone call, or worse, an email. So I feel like LinkedIn is the email per se, and that you can link to other, like you can link to videos on other sites, but it's more difficult to engage people on a one-on-one -on -one level in a way that you can on, you know, Facebook or Instagram. Um, and so, you know, I have kind of focused for me on Facebook and LinkedIn and LinkedIn, uh, just reckon, and a lot of, you know, people go between the two. But I think globally, there is, you know, as we've seen this kind of push for more women going into STEM, a lot of the folks on my, that are able to find me on Facebook have done a search looking for, you know, women in STEM, and they're across the world. Um, whereas I think LinkedIn, once again, it just makes it harder for me to engage on a personal level. So, you know, for companies that are looking for engineers, um, I don't think you can limit your social media activities to simply one platform. And I would encourage you that, for example, if now you're only engaging with people on LinkedIn, that you do something with video, be it Facebook, be it Instagram, be it your a company YouTube channel, you know, interview employees at your firm that love working there and ask them what they love about it. Um, that goes viral and you'll have engineers coming to you. Right. And, and LinkedIn is coming out with more video and the test marketing like LinkedIn Live and, and different things. But one difference between the platforms that I've noticed, so I've been, you know, in addition to some of the, you know, strategic planning implementation and executive coaching and, um, you know, corporate impact design and different things I've been doing. I mean, one of the topics that I speak on has to do with preventing burnout in organizations and, you know, in, engaging on that level. I find that People, and what people have told me, 
well, I don't really want to be able to share a lot of that on LinkedIn. But on Facebook, they're so much more likely to talk about personal issues and some of the, you know, sort of the, the people issues, the life issues that, you know, as far as preventing burnout and, you know, I don't feel engaged. And it's almost like people feel freer on those platforms to talk about these sort of work-life issues, whereas it's a little bit more, you know, professional and prim and proper and always looking good. I think a little bit more on LinkedIn and and that's what, you know, people say, Hey, I didn't comment on that such and such because I don't want my boss to think, or I don't want my employees to think. And so they're very judicious, but I think there's a little, they're a little bit more free on Facebook. And so, and, and sometimes that's a little bit of a generational thing too, you know, people, you know, more comfortable with social media. Yeah. And that's exactly what I've, I've seen as well. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons is as, you know, the next generation comes up and even with my own, I don't think the the split between work and personal is as stark now as it may have been in the past. You know, for me, I, I, I've thought about both of these things in my head, not exactly at the same time, but it's, you know, I have a client meeting, then I'm picking up a child, then I'm, you know, going back into another client meeting, like they, they blend a lot. Um, and so I think, you know, as we talk, I, um, there's a book called Dare to Lead that talks all about the power of being vulnerability of being vulnerable as a leader, being able to like, make your company human is what attracts and retains engineers to you. Um, and, and so, you know, that Facebook and Instagram and all of that, bringing in that human element so it's not just that corporation that has no soul is a huge part of retaining and keeping engineers. Right. And, and as you know, the, the risk for organizations who aren't doing it and, and going to sustainably be able to attract and, and retain their and change the culture is they're going to promote people and then they're going to leave. And everyone on social media will know about it, which I think holds people back because they're not committed to cultural change and really, you know, sort of engaging people throughout all the seasons of their their career. And it is, I think you're right. It's, it's work-life blending. It's work-life integration today. And I had somebody, I, I was speaking to somebody and, and I don't know if it was written somewhere or somewhere in a book, but it was like the whole work-life balance. I mean, it really, it doesn't quite make sense. And it's this, this, you know, sort of unstable state, just work-life balance. But they said it was almost, it was the, it was the, the Gen X's cry for help because they had, you know, work had changed, you know, into the Gen X. And, and as a Gen Xer, I mean, we entered the work force it with a you know a recession in the 1990s and then we had the dot-com boom and bust we had another recession and then the, the the great recession so xers have had you know plus generation you know technology changes so this whole like really like burnout and feeling it and a lack of balance it, it was xers basically said i don't know what to call this but i need balance because work is taking over my life and i see no exit because I haven't been promoted. I, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, and I think, but now that the dust has settled a little bit, I think balance is not the, not the goal. It's about integration and blending. So, all right, as we um, come to an end, I do want to talk about your virtual summit um, that you're having. Uh, you know, what, what do you have planned um, just to get the, start getting the word out? <laughs> 
Okay. Well, thank you. Um, so we are running a virtual summit for female engineers, uh, October 1st through 4th. The, uh, the sign-up page isn't up yet. We're still in the early planning stages. Um, if you want to know more about that, just go to my website, www.engineersrising.com, and, and you'll be informed. But it's a four-day virtual sub summit where what we're doing, and it's free, that Day one is going to be all about different career paths for engineers. Uh, day two is going to be about female engineers who have started their own company. So it's going to be about entrepreneurship. Um, the next day is all going to be about wellness. So stress relief, burnout, like how do you deal with those things as you're working? Um, and then finally, we're going to have what I call she power days, um, which is all about kind of these hot topics like how do you negotiate pay? Um, how do you, you know, move into a management position? How do you, you know, do all these things that allows you to have a successful career um, and be the role model to other women behind you? So I am super excited about this uh, because, you know, having this group of female engineers coming to talk primarily to other female engineers that anyone can watch from anywhere and it's free, um, it's just something I am personally very passionate about. A lot of times we hear like, I'm having trouble finding mentors. Uh, and this is one way that my company is trying to get, you know, mentor other women um, through hearing these stories and hearing, you know, how other women have done it. Yeah, I, I mean that just—it just sounds fabulous. And you know, we 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 do need on-the-job training, and you know, we need coaching, mentor, support in our organizations. But there's also a benefit, and we need to also get fresh ideas from outside of our organization. So even if things are going well, I think for for firms and leaders or well-ish to be able to participate, I think you're going to get new ideas. And even if, you know, there, there's a lot more opportunity for development. I mean, like it, it sounds like a great it sounds like a great thing. And I, I commend you for doing that. Um, as we close, is there anything else you think it would be great for, uh, for leaders in the industry to, to know? I think I just want to close with like one key takeaway. If you take away nothing else from the entire time we have talked together, it is the importance of talking to the individual engineers about what they need to thrive in your organization and helping your managers, whether that's a program in place, talking to individual managers to facilitate that sort of inclusive culture where everyone feels like they have a voice, male and female. Yeah. Amen to that. Thank you. And how can, how can people get in touch with you? Okay. So if you want to get in touch with me, um, you can come to my website. So it's www.engineersrising.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I am Stephanie Slocum, PE. You can find me on Instagram at uh, Stephanie is my handle. Uh, and you can find me on Facebook. If you just search for uh, Engineers Rising, you'll find our site and you can, you can add to my 20,000 followers on Facebook where we will we post live videos, uh, inspirational things, um, and discussions. 
See, I might have looked two weeks ago and I saw 18,000 and now two weeks later, it's 20. I mean, so, um, I mean, what, what a joy. I am so thankful that, you know, we crossed paths and that you came on the podcast. And I so look forward to staying in touch with you and you know, being able to, uh, um, to, be, to be part of what you're doing. So thank you for sharing. And um, I wish you the best. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Peter. It's been great to talk to you and to hear about your work, specifically on the burnout side, because as we've talked, um, that's something I hear from female engineering clients as well. So grateful to, for you to have had me on this podcast. Excellent. All right. Well, take care. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.